What if everything you're searching for is already inside of you? Hi, I'm Cassandra Goodman, and I believe that true power comes from staying connected to who we really are at our core. This is a podcast about what it means to stay true to ourselves and why authentic leadership is such tricky business. You'll hear inspiring real life stories from big hearted leaders. I hope these stories help you to remember that true power comes from within. So today on True Power, I am joined by Jackie Clark. Welcome, Jackie. Thanks, Cass. I'm so excited to be here with you today. I'm very excited to be speaking with you. So let me do an intro, then I'll ask you to add um, some more colour and background for the listeners. So Jackie has been referred to as Australia's best kept money secret. Jackie's mission is to help everyone prepare for a financially successful future by building financial independence and the ability to handle just about any financially significant challenge that life serves up. Jackie believes that money allows us to enjoy life, but that it also comes with great responsibility. So she empowers people to manage their money so that their money doesn't manage them. I love that. Uh, Following her successful career with some of the world's largest blue clip chip accounting firms, Jackie co-founded the boutique accounting and advisory firm Maxima Private. Jackie describes herself as a trusted advisor, a truth sayer, a conscience and a confidant. And her new book, Stop Worrying About Money, is a ripper. I've read it and really enjoyed it and took a lot from it. And this book covers everything you need to know to get your house in order and take back control of your money. Jackie and I met through Kelly Irving's expert author community. And Jackie is now an alumni mentor there, helping budding authors get their books out into the world. So thanks again, Jackie, for joining us. What else do you think we should mention in terms of who you are and and the work you do in the world? Oh, well, look, maybe a little bit about me personally. Uh, a few people may know now, but I'm a stepmom and a, and a mum. Um, got five sons in a blended family. My youngest child is finishing the HSC as we speak, which is really exciting. So I think I'm going through life changes um, with that sort of adapting to life with a, being a little bit of an empty nester in some respects. Um, a cattle farmer uh, on the weekends or, or any time I'm required there, actually. Uh, a city kid though through and through and obviously you've heard about my career so 30 years in professional services advising um, families and businesses on how to manage actually and protect their wealth. So tell us more about cattle farming I did not know that about you so what are you just throwing casually oh I'm also a cattle yeah. farmer not something you hear every day. Tell no, us you asked that question because say I'm a city kid and then a cattle farmer they kind of don't go together but I was lucky enough to meet a wonderful man who is also a city kid now but grew up um, on a cattle property or cattle and sheep property and his parents sent him away um, to the big smoke to not be on a farm and as um, we when we got together in our blended family he said to me oh do you want to sort of have a look at this and I said yeah okay and I just found that I really loved the land um, so and cattle was a natural progression for us having big careers um, as we did at Deloitte at the time it was something that we needed a, a the right business model to be able to run um, from afar so that's sort of how we got back in, into it and now I mean I just love 
all the aspects of it. There's some I don't obviously do some of the hard yakka like artificially inseminating the cows, which was done last week. <laughs> but I can help herd them and things like that. So that's where I'm good. Keep me away from some parts of the cows. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Well, I've learned something new about you today, Jackie. I won't. I won't see you the same way now. I, I, I can picture you kind of with cattle and wearing the hat and yes. the whole thing. <laughs> Love it. Ways. <laughs> All right. So you've listened to the True Power podcast, and you know that the key question that I love to talk to people about, really to normalize the tricky business of authenticity, is this question. Jackie, can you tell us about a time when you realised that you were not being true to yourself? There's so many. And so in some respects, when I get that question, I get thrown because, that you know, throughout your life, um, you can be challenged by these things. I think for me, one of the ones that really stands out, though, if you think about a career trajectory, and I was always chasing um, promotions and incremental roles, particularly in my career at Deloitte, and I raised sort of to the highest ranks that I could go um, in a career in a professional services firm onto an executive team, which is kind of where everybody wants to be. But in the process of working out what other things would go with that role, one of the partners that I worked with sat me down one day and said, look, we think you've got all the right skills to do this particular job. And I always said yes <laughs> at Deloitte because it's all about that sort of just you just say yes you know, in terms of progressing in your career, you say yes. And it was one of those moments when I heard the subject that they wanted me to take a lead on. And I thought it like sunk inside, had that feeling, you know, gut feeling where I completely sunk inside. And I said, um, okay, but I needed to go away and think about it. And then I had to spend that 24 hours I mean, sometimes it's longer for people. In this case, I was actually making a decision. So I didn't let it go and then have the aha moment that I was not being true to myself. But in the conversation with the colleague, I was all upbeat and how wonderful and exciting, what a great opportunity, et cetera, et cetera. But then that sort of sinking feeling inside and I had to go home and, you know, that be true to myself conversation and wake up the next day and made a decision that that wasn't right. But that could alter the course of my career, and it did actually, but I think for the better, um, altered the course of my career at Deloitte by saying no to that mm. opportunity. Yeah. But, you know, I would have been um, probably making a lot of money, working with some really interesting people, but I wouldn't have found joy in doing that. And I think for me, the connection with people and the joy from doing the work is really important. And I wasn't going to find it in that particular product that they wanted me to help with. Mm. What a yeah. wonderful, powerful story. And I love that this knowing that that wasn't the right path of you, you kind of, as you talk about that moment, you talk about this, the sinking feeling inside your body, yeah. um, which I find so interesting, right? Because we we often, the, our body is sending us these signals about what it, what is really congruent with who we really are and what perhaps is incongruent or not quite right for us. So like the words are coming out and the words and the body saying, oh, you've got to do this, your mind saying, got to do this, this is all about your career. But in here, you sort of like, as every word comes out, you sink further and further and further. And then, I mean, the reality is in that case, I just needed to go away and sleep on it, which you, you don't sleep at all when you've got things like that to decide. 
but to wake up and say, no, that's actually, that will be a mistake for me. And what courage I imagine that would have taken. I'm wondering, Jackie, if that's, you know, a similar sort of opportunity, let's say an opportunity that you knew wasn't right for you, if that had happened earlier in your career, do you think you would have had the same courage to say, no, that's not right for me? Do you think your positional power somehow helps you to find that courage? I'm just curious about that. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, Possibly did actually like sort of being able to recognize what was in the pipeline as potential for me from a career perspective I think it is different I pretty much said yes to everything for almost 30 years actually uh, and just kept rolling with it and I did have an absolute blast of a time but but equally that moment when I was deciding to leave a career at Deloitte as a as the highest paid female partner in one of the businesses there um was a really big call and it was the same thing. What I found was I wasn't operating in the environment that was true to me. And that took a long time because I think when you're so connected to a bigger vision, which is I was going to be there till I was 62, that type of thing, um, which was the retirement age that we're not allowed to talk about. Uh, and to then have that realisation that this is no longer supporting me um, was really hard. And there's grief. Yes. Yes, there's grief. I can really relate to that. I mean, I, I don't my career didn't take me to the sort of heights your Deloitte career took you to, but certainly knowing those high paid executive roles and for me also walking away from that, that there, there's definitely grieving and there's still moments of pangs of pain in my heart when I when I think about what it was like to be part of an executive team and all that entails, um, and of course, with rose-coloured glasses because you think about the positive aspects of feeling part of a team, um, having that sort of financial security uh, and yes. all the things that come with that, um, it's really complicated. And I think to extract one's sense of self-worth to what I, what I describe as kind of unhook one's oh. sense of self-worth to those yeah. big salary packages is for me that took many years of work <laughs> yeah no we're on the same page so I left at the end of 2019 I was very fortunate one of my mentors was the former CEO Gene Swiggers of Deloitte and he said to me uh, that a lot of people have trouble leaving the green dot which is what um, we referred to we have green blood uh, we used to bleed green and he was right uh, and people, I, I still talk to people today who are afraid to leave because they don't think they have a brand outside of that environment. And I'm saying you do. You've got all this experience. You've got this great following of clients and people that exists outside of Deloitte. Anyway, it, t- it takes time to realize that. And I'm, I'm with you 100% in terms of that process of not being part of that machine um, is really significant. It is. It is. It's a real. Um, it's a real, a really important and um, committed practice. I, I think a committed practice of of re-anchoring our sense of worth, worth or value, um, back inside of ourselves and and untethering it from whether it's the brand association, the salary association, the title all these, the trappings, of course, these um, maybe external measures of success. I'm doing air quotes in success. Yeah. 
All right. Um, when we know that actually they're, they're maybe no longer good for us um, and we sense there's more, that there's there's more potentiality inside of ourselves beyond these roles, these brands, the, these titles. Um, so Yeah, it's really interesting. I think with the benefit of time, um, people will follow you wherever you go. Mm, they will. And and that we can cultivate this sense of enoughness that comes from inside of ourselves. It's not going to happen overnight, but but it will happen. And yeah. I, I remember when I, in my last big corporate role, I was global director of employee experience at Bupa. And in that role, I had accountability across the global workforce, which was 86,000 people. And I, I was starting to feel that really depleted that, you know, this feeling that I was that that role as fabulous as it was, was harnessing only a narrow sliver of all that I was. And that sliver was depleted. Yeah. And I had a beautiful colleague, Naomi, who said to me, Cassie, you've out, you've outgrown Bupa. And that was a really catalytic comment for me. And it really took me a while to think, is that even possible? How can that, how can this be possible? I'm at the top, I'm at the top of the tree of this massive role. How could I have outgrown this role? But I think that was such a kind and generous thing to say to me. And it really helped me to to trust that I had I had more to offer the world. I had more inside of me that needed to be activated than that, that this role could possibly hold. Yes. Actually, that reminds me of a great conversation I had many years ago I've always had mentors along the way they've been um, always informal but generally people who have got 10 years plus if not 20 years plus on me in terms of experience and one of my favorite mentors one day said to me you've outgrown me like there was just a point where I was at this point in career where he's saying this is not my I can't help you anymore now like you're on I'm always here for you but I can't advise you anymore. I had that happen one and a half times, if that makes sense. Um, but really nice call from a mentor to say, okay, like time, like time out now. Yeah. yeah. You've leveled and up. I, it was literally, that's exactly right. I was just sort of continuing up on this trajectory that that person didn't have the experience with. Mm, how fascinating. And so what what do you remember about that sleepless night? Because I can imagine there's listeners who are like, oh, wow, I know that sinking feeling well, but yet I keep saying, yes, I have the sinking feeling. I have the sleepless nights, but I keep saying yes. Mm. And I just, you know, what, what, what many of us do when we have that sinking feeling, we distract, we numb, we push it down, we suppress it. We, we tell ourselves that we're just not being tough enough, that we need just to, to soldier on because this is what successful executives do. <laughs> they say yeah. yes and they find a way to make it work. Um, and yeah. so what do you recall about that evening when between noticing the sinking feeling within and, and stepping into your empowered decline of that opportunity? What do you remember happening between those two things? Well, it's it was a conflict because we're talking about being your authentic self and being true to yourself, but it didn't feel authentic to say no. Yeah. So it was a it was a genuine conflict, and to turn up and say no, no one would ever have believed I said no to that. Even mm. to this day, I'm sure if I told people the story, they'd say, "I can't believe you said no to that." I'm like, "Well, because some people never get the opportunity, right?" 
mm. as well. Um, yeah, so I do remember feeling like it wasn't authentic at all. The part, none of the path that followed from there, never, as in the feelings in that moment of making the decision and actually communicating the no, uh, it didn't feel authentic. It didn't feel right, I guess is probably the best way to describe it. But it took time, like mm. anything, like the decision to leave the Del- Deloitte, it takes time to process it to a point of value and recognise the absolute return from saying no or making the change has is fundamentally um, different but positive as well. That's fascinating. Yes, yeah, so- it definitely didn't feel authentic at all saying. So the being true to yourself bit was the gut feeling reaction and recognising this job's not going to get me out of bed every day, this aspect of the job. But saying no did not feel authentic at all. Like it was, ooh, I'm not comfortable saying no. And I still struggle with saying no, by the way. Mm, yeah, yeah, especially coming into Christmas. <laughs> right, well, you're not alone. And there's a powerful question that comes from Gab or Mate. I use it sometimes in my workshops to give us a lens into the different parts of ourselves. And the question is, where in your life is there a no that wants to be said and what part of you keeps on saying yes? Yes, and I'm still challenged by this. I'm looking the classic sort of capability versus capacity thing. So old habits die hard, right? So recognising that I have the capability to do something doesn't mean that I need to do it and it be, I probably don't have the capacity at all. Mm. Um, and so recognising that right now, I'm trying to identify how to set better boundaries around how I work now. Because uh, I feel quite overwhelmed about uh, the combination of the business that I run, the boards that I'm on, and the book, and all of the exciting opportunities that come with the book, and they're sort of like all smashing together at the moment. So, like, I I really enjoy uh, being pod, a podcast guest, for example. It's probably the thing I've prioritised over other op- opportunities um, with being an author. But yes, right now I sort of feel like there's this conflux of all these things. So I'm trying to um, rethink my boundaries. And sort of uh, understand or work out what is a what are my priorities. You know, back to your values as well. So re-identifying my values or what my values are right now and how I align my priorities to those values. So it's a bit of work. <laughs> it's a it's a constant practice, right? And as you're describing that model, what occurs in my thinking is yes, it is about capability and capacity, but it's also about congruence. Yes. It's not just capability and capacity, it's congruence. And is this work congruent with who I am and who I want to be in the world? And I wonder, I find that so interesting and relatable that actually the no didn't feel authentic, but that what what was authentic was that 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 knowing at your core, that sinking feeling, the message in that sinking feeling was this role will not be good for us. This not this role is not right for us. This role is not congruent with some really important essential aspect of who I am. Would you, is that what the sinking feeling was? Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm wondering if 
the the part of you that wanted to say yes, that part of you, I mean, I think I can relate to that. I have a part of me, I call a little misachiever. She says yes that to one. everything. Yeah, overachiever. Yeah, you're looking <laughs> to her. <laughs> <laughs> so a little misachiever parts will say yes to anything that's going to result in a gold star and perhaps some proof that somehow she's enough. Uh, and yes. so for her, if you know, if you are hijacked, so to speak, with that with that part of you, for her, the the decline wouldn't have felt congruent for her because she's lived her whole life saying yes and being a high achiever. But but at your core, beneath that part, it was the right decision. Mm. Yeah, and it, I've no doubt some people get in tune with this much earlier in their careers, which is choosing to accept perhaps where they're at from a career perspective and not to continue to say yes to things. I was probably never really in a good place to say no in my head. But like, you know, I had, it's like if I was in the army and there were all these stars and stripes and medals to get, I kind of had them all. I actually had them, but just naturally with the style of um, growth and I, I have a very strong personal growth mindset, but also in a business that had a very strong growth focus, it's just natural that you keep growing, changing, you know, change is constant. You keep adapting to that. It took me a while to learn in my career also how to adapt to constant change. And I got much better at it. In fact, then I sort of became a front runner for change um, I, I've, throughout my career and just got mm. much better at it because I used to like things to be the same, but um, it doesn't work. Not in a fast growth business or fast mm. growth business model. Mm. Yeah. And so well, one other question that I, I'd love to ask you, if it's okay, you know, when you think about this moment when you were already at the executive table and then you were offered this other role and that um, because of your tuning into this sinking feeling, because of the positional power that you held, because you, you'd achieved so much, you connect, collected all the stars, all the stripes, you mm-hmm. made it. And drawing on all of that, you were able to decline this role. Do you think then looking back at all the yeses, all the roles you'd accepted leading up to that moment, Um, Would you change anything about that or did you have moments before that when you'd, when you'd had the sinking feeling, but taken opportunities and like, how do you, how do you think retrospectively about all those yeses now that you have more clarity about this and this more permission to be able to say no sometimes? Well, maybe I can answer that in a different way than the way my brain is thinking of it right now. What I have learned (laughs) is that I was in the, biggest bubble of all time in my career and the whole world according to the business I was in worked a particular way and of course when I left that bubble it was like oh, oh this is the world out here so you think about the conversation you might have with your family or your parents right the stars and stripes don't care not interested like the funniest thing that happened to me uh in the last year was when I went to a family function and my mum introduced me as our daughter, Jacqueline, the author. And I cracked up because I'm like, you know, I'm a chartered accountant, like all these things. His author is that it was almost like the hierarchy of which in my head, where do I fit, right? But, but all the jobs, all the titles mean zero to just about everyone else out there in the world. But I was in a bubble that respected all these things. Mm. So, um 
I guess it's easy to say, looking back, I now realise that perhaps I wouldn't have chased as many of those opportunities in my career. I would have taken more time with things. Uh, but it's a bit, it's a difficult one. But I think the difference now is I can recognise the bubble effect and realise that the world, according to the organisation you're in, is just that. That doesn't exist outside. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I'm, what I'm going to say next is not directly at Deloitte by any stretch, mm. but but as you're saying, it also occurs to me that organizations that that set up these elaborate games of snakes and ladders to to lure and retain high achievers like you and I yes (laughs) the bubble is really helpful in doing that oh it's amazing I was fully comfortable there but I realized uh ever so quickly and harshly it's like uh falling out of the sky almost and landing going oh geez that hurt you know um you're no longer in that bubble, that whole network, that framework that you had established a position, power, whatever it might be in that business is worth a big fat donut outside that business. And wherever you go next, you start again. Yeah. I don't know that that's so bad. (laughs) Yeah. And and you start again. I mean, the option there, you start again, you enter into a new bubble, a new game of snakes and ladders, and you figure out how to climb ladders and avoid the snakes. Or... You figure out how to cultivate a sense of enoughness that comes from inside of you and you realise there's more to life than climbing yeah. ladders and avoiding yeah. snakes. Yeah, because actually you just it tapped into something with me. I the, rec- the external recognition did seem to be really important to me and I think, and I, this goes back to I've had psychology appointments over this, you know, trying to get my parents to recognise uh, me almost because I was one of those kids who did really well so my parents that was like cool she's good um, so it was actually hard to get them to say oh you've done like I wanted them to say you've done a great job so sort of years of practice of working out that I don't need that rec- that external recognition anymore I'm happy with where I'm at um, mm-hmm. but yeah that's that's been quite a journey actually working through that and I guess people have to go back to recognize sometimes why they do the things that they do in these environments yeah, and so often it goes back to those key relationships with our parents or caregivers. I can really relate to that. And, um, you know, I have to recognise little misachiever every day. Like it's really a, an essential self-care practice. As I'm going home at night, I have to just actually bring that little girl to mind that's so desperate to feel like she's worthy of love and belonging and I need to say to her well done sweetheart I saw you today you worked hard you've made a difference I see you and you know good job I give her a little gold star in my inner realm (laughs) and and then she relaxes and it and it's kind of crazy to admit this but if I don't do that and I and then say I go home and say for example my husband doesn't ask me how my day was I can really get into a big sulk she can get into a sulk and then she takes me over and I can sulk all the way through dinner surrounded by the people who love me the most because she she didn't get that recognition so I've learned I I give it to her myself and then she kind of chills out (laughs) yes I think I can learn a little bit from that as well and probably not at the sulk level but I come you know I'll wait to almost announce what I did today (laughs) the dinner table and then everyone's like 
um, you know, <laughs> whatever's next. And I'm like, this is amazing what I did today. I spoke to like, I, I went to this event during the week and there was 25 women there and there was 60 online dialing in as I'm speaking about the book. And I'm telling none of my family obviously comes and I ring my mum on the way and she's like, oh, well, you have fun. You know, it's like... <laughs> Where's my gold star? Yeah, pretty much. Still, it's embarrassing. But, yes, I still um, feel like I need some, yes, little misrecognition um, creeps out. I can relate. Anyway, I think it goes a little bit with the territory and I've definitely got it more in check now than I used to have it, that's for sure. You're not alone. Like I think so many high achievers have this part that that really just yearns to be seen, to be recognised, to achieve, um, to feel like she's enough and... Yeah, perhaps you can start playing with the idea of giving her some gold stars yourself because as strange as that might seem, it certainly works for me in my little misachiever part. Yeah, well, we have that in common. Why does that not surprise me when we first spoke? <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jackie. Maybe I'll just ask one final question and then I'd love to let listeners know like where to find your book, uh, and where to follow you but perhaps for any listeners who are like oh gosh I've had that sinking feeling I have it regularly but I keep saying yes um, what words of wisdom might you offer anyone who hasn't yet found the courage to to tune into that deeper knowing and to do what's right to to remember that, that it's also about congruence not just about capability and capacity what what any any words that come that you might be able to offer of guidance or uh, mm. inspiration yeah well this might be a little bit cheeky but there's obviously underlying issues for people or concerns or fears with not, you know, taking the bull by the horns and getting off the comfy couch. Sometimes it come, comes back to things like you're the breadwinner in the household, like the fears of not like the financial security, which is obviously what I write about. And that's why I said it's a bit mm-hmm. cheeky. But I think sometimes you need to go back and do the work to understand what type of income you might need to get through a period or what type of money you might need to save to get through a period or what type of life insurance you might need to make sure that everyone else is going to be okay if something happens to you, all those types of things. Sometimes you've got to do that homework to get off the comfy couch and make the call that's going to, you know, certainly give you the courage to take um, a path that will no doubt be the best thing for your future. Um, in time but sometimes you just got to go back and do the homework on understanding things like what are your baseline costs of running your household and to give yourself that level of comfort of where you can make decisions um, that may not rely on you saying yes to that opportunity and that that's something that I did um, very specifically when I was contemplating leaving my career at Deloitte was actually understand I wanted to secure my children's education. I still had a couple of kids left at school. So for me, it was actually about saving up things like school fees and knowing that even if I had to live in a caravan in a park somewhere that the kids' education was paid for, that was important to me. So I think they're just little steps because financial, we talk about well-being and we haven't really covered well-being today, but making sure that um, your financial well-being is taken care of is an important aspect to giving you the courage to make that decision. That's a long-winded answer. Yeah. No, that's perfect. And I saw Adam Grant tweeted recently something like financial securing your financial security is a form of self-care. Yes, and I think we miss it 
we think about lots of other things because that can be a bit scary too or someone else is handling that and you need to get on top of that is is also the bottom line uh, so that's a really good point like mm-hmm. mm. yeah I think that's so valuable and certainly when I coach um, executives very very often um, often it's in situations where an executive's role has been made redundant and they they kind of reach out to me in a bit of a panic, which is, oh my gosh, I need to get my next role within six to eight weeks is often how, how the conversations begin. Um, and I'll ask, you know, can you tell me more about where that timeline comes from? Well, well money, I need, I need to make money, you know, I've got, I've got a mortgage, I've got kids and it's like, okay. And so, but when you unpack it, really, it's rarely ever about, the, the money in the short term. I've I've met lots of execs who actually have done those sums and have the runway, but yet there's that part of them with this urgency that no, no, I, I need to have a high paid executive job. I need the title. I need the status. I need all of these things to feel like myself because without oh, those things. Yes, yeah. that whole package, this is how I'm viewed out there in the world. So yes. I need to yeah, keep it up. <laughs> keep it up because if I'm not if I'm not a highly paid executive then who the heck am I yeah well it's like I can't get off this treadmill yeah yeah and so I think yeah your advice is so wise and so true that you know feel empowered to get on top of your finances and that that not everyone is in a position to say no I think we should recognize that 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 for lots of reasons um sometimes we just have to say yes from a financial security perspective and that is a form of self-care and there's nothing wrong with that um and um as you teach so many people so wonderfully you know feeling empowered to get in control of their money so their money doesn't control them so they do have more freedom and more choice and they they do have that privilege I suppose it is a privilege to do that introspection to say okay where is this urgency to say yes or find the next similar role where is this urgency really coming from and is it from my core or it's from a part of me that perhaps has attached its self-worth to something outside of myself yeah I think I spot on people will book time with a coach first before they'll ever go and see their account and say help me work out what my baseline costs are at home they will mm-hmm. absolutely it's that the conversation anyway it's a really good starting point to make sure people check in on their financial well-being as well as um, their overall well-being totally totally agree Thank you so much, Jackie. Where can people buy your wonderful book and connect with you? Um, just share a few of those details for the listeners. Oh, thanks, Cass. So I have a website, jackieclark.me, but you can buy the book pretty much in all the good bookstores, as they say, but also online with Amazon and Booktopia. I'm also on Facebook and on Instagram, Clark 000 Call me for help. <laughs> right. Thanks, Jackie. I'll link that in the show notes as well so people know exactly where to find you. Thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me today. I really enjoyed uh, what we explored together and I really, really appreciate all that you shared. Well, thanks for the tough questions, Cass. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> Bye for now. By being true to our deepest selves, we liberate our highest potential and serve the greatest good. As the founder of the Center for Self-Fidelity, 
I am on a mission to help leaders feel more authentically empowered so we can co-create workspaces where people can thrive, perform, play and belong. Learn more at selffidelity.com.